0: Welcome to a bonus holiday episode of Eiffel Science The Big Questions. I'm your host, Eleanor Higgs. During the holiday season, I expect many of you are tucking into family meals. But have you ever thought about going meat-free at this time of year? Or what the future of the meat industry could look like? For this episode, I'm joined by Daniel, the Chief Technical Officer from Redefined Meat, who's going to talk to us all about creating delicious new meat products without the environmental impact. So welcome, Daniel, to the r science the Big Questions podcast. Wonderful to have you on the podcast with us. To start off with, could you tell me about yourself and your role at Redefined Meat?
1: Yes, thank you. It's my pleasure being here and tell about our technology and our products. So my name is Daniel and I am the CTO of Redefined Meat. I work here for four years and my role is creating all the technological modules that are necessary for creating the Perfect, at the alternative of uh, the meat that we love, but without the animals.
0: Wow, amazing. So, as you said, Redefine Meat creates plant-based alternatives to meat products. How do you go about this?
1: Yeah, so basically, uh, as you know, animals, they consume plants and they build their body from these plants and they create uh, the protein food that we then uh, frequently use uh, as meat. So in Redefined Meat, we just uh, make a shortcut for this process and we take the plants and we turn them directly into meat using a uh, technology that we developed here. And uh, this technology allows creating all the uh, full range of meat products, addressing uh, all the taste and preferences, uh, not only of uh, vegans and vegetarians, but also of flexitarians, omnivores, and uh, even carnivores
0: but why is that important to you to replicate that sort of meat feel so closely
1: uh, yes yeah, so uh, this feel in general is very important for me because i believe that uh, uh, we should uh, provide an alternative to uh, the uh, animal uh, um, industrial animal farming that we as we know today is a very polluting and create a bunch of environmental problems uh, starting from greenhouse gas emissions and continued with the uh, uh, land use and water use and a lot of pollution that it creates. And uh, when I switched uh, my job from my previous job that was in Stratosys, the biggest 3D printing company, uh, I was looking for a place where my skills could create a real impact. And uh, I met the founder of this company, Shharved Chitrit, they told me about a redefined meat approach to, uh, to break the glass ceiling of the performance that uh, the, uh, this old, like the legacy meat alternatives were facing. So, um, if you ask, if you would ask the customers uh, what is missing in meat analogs to, uh, to make them a clear choice, they, uh, oh, like 80% of them, would say number one is the taste Uh, so uh, the the actual performance of the meat analogues uh, is not sufficient was not sufficient for more people to adapt it so uh, our approach is actually there to break this glass ceiling and to generate uh, products that are on totally different level so that uh, you can consume meat without any compromise. So you do not compromise on taste and you do not compromise on environment.
0: Amazing. So you mentioned that you have replicated, you've taken the plants to replicate these sort of new meat products. Can you tell me more about that and what the redefined meat products are made of?
1: Sure. So uh, we basically take existing plant-based uh, ingredients so we do not invent any a new molecule, at least not until now. And we, uh, we were looking for a way that we can impact the industry in the short term. We don't want to use like space technologies or like crazy scientific things. Uh, but we believe that there are simple solutions. And these simple solutions are located, uh, and I apologize if I speak too much scientifically because I'm a scientist. But they are located at uh, the multidisciplinary junctions of different sciences. Okay, so the food uh, science alone could not provide, produce a sufficiently good meat analog because uh, a steak has very uh, sophisticated internal structure, as, as all of us know. It has a uh, fat marbling. There are fibers that are oriented in certain way. Uh, there is uh, meat uh, juices that are distributed in a certain way it has very sophisticated cooking behavior and uh, you just cannot provide uh, this uh, set of performance by just using existing uh, food manufacturing technologies which are basically uh, usually are just a set of mixers that are mixing many components together they cannot produce uh, this level of structural sophistication so we actually could uh, we, we actually had to look beyond uh, this and looking in other scientific fields such as advanced manufacturing and uh, such as material science in order to understand how uh, you can uh, reach uh, these uh, levels of sophistication. And that's uh, how uh, our technology that we call today plant-based tissue engineering that's how it was formed. So this term, plant-based tissue engineering, is a new term that we uh, uh, we coined, and uh, I just submitted a paper uh, to one of uh, uh, the leading scientific journals that will t- tell the full story of plant-based tissue engineering. But uh, the, basically the concept is looking on the meat as a complex tissue the same way we do for living tissues. And also uh, meat is not a living tissue, it still preserves many of the structural uh, uh, elements that uh, the living muscle had. So we first of all, we look at this as a tissue, and then we break this tissue into the separate tissues, fat, muscle, connective tissue, uh, and liquids, and we reconstruct each one of them separately, and then we put them together during our manufacturing process. So that's basically, uh, in a nutshell, the way that our technology works.
0: So you're using sort of plant proteins and that sort of thing to recreate the structures that you would find within a steak, let's say? Right.
1: So we we use uh, our main building block is a protein, uh, primarily soy protein, because it has very uh, good nutritional uh, qualities. And uh, the same, uh, so we we basically use the same building blocks uh, that are uh, being used in other meat analogs, but we uh, adjust them and we adapt them to the requirements of our components and we also use uh, our uh, proprietary technology that we developed for, uh, for putting these elements uh, together for uh, delivering this set of uh, texture, uh, color, uh, mechanical behavior, chewing behavior, uh, fatty mouthfeel, flavor and aroma, all the characteristics that you need in order to uh, address your five senses, right? Because we have so many senses that are analyzing every piece of food that we are consuming that in order to uh, uh, to kind of trick the senses and make them uh, to understand that this is a meat, you really need uh, to reach very high level of, uh, of um, imitation or uh, replication to a livestock meat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it must be uh, very difficult to recreate meat without even using any animal products whatsoever. Can you tell me more about the three pillars of your technology, the new meat science and the meat matrix manufacturing?
1: Yes, sure. I would love to. So, um, I, I will, I will start from, uh, from, from meat science because uh, uh, again, uh, when we face all this complexity uh, of the different meat products that we uh, are familiar with from the supermarket, right? So we have different cuts of the animal. We have uh, different animals of different age. Sometimes uh, the butchers uh, do uh, some aging to uh, the meat product. And there are just also variations from from animal to animal. Uh, And uh, to recreate all this uh, huge set of uh, characteristics, you really need, first of all, to understand what meat is. And that's why we invest so much effort in studying livestock meat. We have in-house meat scientists and we analyze uh, all cuts of meat in uh, existing testing methods, but we also develop our own testing methods. Uh, For example, uh, there is almost zero information in the literature, in the meat science literature about the characteristics of the meat at the serving temperature, because uh, usually when you go to a restaurant and you get your stack, it will be at about uh, c- between 50 to 60 centi degrees Celsius. And uh, all the tests that are being done, they are being done in room temperature. So just to create the set of uh, tools and methods to test the meat uh, characteristics at the serving temperature, uh, even this is a challenge, okay? And uh, all the data that we collect, we put in the in database that actually lists all the characteristics and allows us, uh, serves a reference for all the plant-based work that we do and uh, sometimes these characteristics uh, are just a modified testing tool but sometimes we go really far and for example we did a research at uh, the Canadian Light Source which is actually a synchrotron facility where we scanned a piece of tenderloin with a tiny uh, x-ray beam to recreate all the structures of the fibers, of the connected tissue, and to see how uh, the cooking affects uh, this structure. So that's, that's about the meat science. And now when, when we have all the data uh, that we collected about uh, livestock meat, we can collect the same data for plant-based meat and very easily to compare between them and to identify what are the gaps, so we can close these gaps. So I will give you just one example that uh, one of the gaps is uh, that, uh, as you know, uh, meat has fibers and we, you break it apart, you see that the, the fibers uh, break in a way that create kind of staggered interface between the two pieces of meat that you, uh, you are holding or that you cut with a knife. And if the fibers will stick too much together, then you will get like a plastic dowel. Uh, it will be just homogeneous material and it will not be like meat or if these fibers do not uh, stack together they will just break apart and it will behave like a long cooked meat and not like a steak so you need a very certain uh, level of adherence between the muscle fibers for recreating this texture so this is an example of work uh, that we do and we adjust all the characteristics of the meat that we are producing in the uh, various manners that we have so that it will Uh, generate the desired behavior.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So really looking at it from a molecular sort of on the scale of really close through all the x-rays, through everything so you can recreate it as exactly as possible using your proteins.
1: Right. So sometimes, uh, indeed, we need to look on the molecular level, especially if we speak about uh, aroma, for example, because aromas are volatile molecules that we feel. So in this case, we need to go to the molecular level but in in terms of uh, like fiber texture so the fibers that you see with naked eye in the steak, uh, anatomically it's called fascicles so mus- muscle is a hierarchical structure of fibers there it starts from very tiny fibers that are uh, on nanometer scale and then they're grouped to uh, much bigger fibers uh, of about 20 micron scale and these 20 micron fibers are grouped together into fascicles which are about two millimeter thick and that's what you see with your necktie when you uh, play with a piece of meat. And uh, in this case, you don't really uh, need to, uh, to overs- uh, uh, over uh, do over sophistication because then you will pay a lot of uh, pricing for getting this le- level of resolution. So sometimes you, you want to decrease the re- resolution and work on this uh, scale of a uh, millimeter scale in order to make your meat uh, fast and uh, meet the commercial demands, which is not only quality, but also uh, the cost of your technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned before about 3D printing. How does that fit into the creation of all these meat products that you're making?
1: I'm, I'm glad that you're asking, and uh, I love 3D printing. As I mentioned, I'm coming from Stratasys. i worked worked more than 10 years in uh, the areas of uh, 3D printing and additive manufacturing. Actually, my last uh, role in Stratasys was a project manager of a product that's called a uh, uh, Digital Anatomy Printer. It's a, it, it's a 3D printer that prints body parts. These body parts are identical to human body parts but they are not biological, you cannot implant them. But you can use them for training of hospitals and medical companies instead of cadavers and animals so they replace cadavers and animals in this training and they deliver amazingly high level of uh, biomechanical accuracy so if you, if you take a bone for example it has all this uh, porous structure inside the bone and bone marrow and uh, the cortical bone for example and they also use 8 different materials at the same time to recreate uh, this complexity So uh, uh, this is an example of uh, inspiration that uh, food industry uh, can get for uh, reaching these levels of sophistication that are required with meat. So in the beginning of our company, we we were very much inspired by this approach, Uh, first in order to create uh, these fascicles, these fibers that I mentioned, second, To create the different uh, arrangements of marbling, right? The fat marbling that you have in the uh, steak—it has uh, certain shapes that uh, are very difficult to create uh, otherwise. And uh, third uh, is that uh, 3D printing is also an excellent tool for uh, redesign, for making prototypes and many redesign cycles. So today, if uh, uh, Apple is developing a new cell phone, they will probably print. A few thousands of variants of the cell phone uh, in order to get the best uh, ergonomic uh, functionality and in order to optimize it and the same of course if you want to make a product that is totally new to the market not the cell phone but a stake that never existed so you need to do so many redesign cycles and this this 3d printing and additive manufacturing allowed us uh, to solve uh, both the structural uh, targets to address the structural targets and address uh, the overall performance ta- uh, targets of our plant-based meat. Today uh, the additive manufacturing has only a, a relatively small uh, smaller role in our technology. Uh, m- many of our products, uh, mince products, for example, the pulled beef, they do not use uh, any 3D printing whatsoever because there is a zero a, a, a zero, a sense in using a 3D printing for homogeneous products like burger, uh, but uh, in, in steaks you still need a very large set of advanced manufacturing technologies and 3D printing is only one of them that you need to use to create all the structures that you need for addressing uh, livestock meet uh, sophistication.
0: I suppose it helps as well that 3D printers print in layers, so I guess that would help to build the flavour and you could build different things into each layer maybe as well.
1: Exactly, so uh, we, we can uh, precisely control the spatial arrangement of uh, all, all our components. It can uh, be fat or it can be muscle uh, and it also allows you to introduce uh, elements that would not be impossible to, to introduce otherwise for example, connective tissue. So one of the um, one of the things that uh, we discovered uh, when I just uh, joined the company that connective tissue is playing a crucial role in the behavior of meat. And if you take a piece of meat and you try to put it apart, you will see tiny white layers and films that bind together, and the fascicles or the muscle fibers. Uh, there is a kind of scaffold that is a uh, that is uh, o- um, entrapping and holding together all the muscles together and also in, in the fat in the uh, meat fat uh, there is also a matrix that is holding all the fat cells together and preventing them from completely falling apart during cooking right so uh, in order to create the connective tissue we developed a set of films that we can introduce during the printing process and uh, recreate also this part of uh, the composite structure of muscle and uh, and uh, drive the, the right uh, mechanical behavior that you would expect from, uh, from a piece of meat.
0: I wanted to ask you as well, given that you're creating these new meat plant-based products so close to what a meat product is on that level, are the nutritional levels different? Does it vary or are they equally very similar from what a redefined steak would look like to what a cow-based steak would look like?
1: So nutritional value is, of course, it's a key consideration for everything that we do. It's not a nice material to play with. In the end of the day, you consume it. And first of all, even before taking care of nutritional value, we take care of food safety. And saying food safety, it can be something trivial in existing food manufacturing technologies, but in our case, since we developed our own manufacturing technologies, so just providing them with the right set of uh, food sa- safety uh, standards and we uh, match the high standards in the industry, uh, only this took us uh, so much effort and um, and time and work. So for example, all our systems operate at 4 degrees Celsius, so uh, basically a chilled uh, temperature, so w- there is uh, zero development. Of uh, uh, any kind of uh, uh, microbial growth that you, you can imagine, so everything is working in completely uh, food-safe uh, environment. So uh, once you take care of the safety, of course, you need to take care of the nutrition. And meat is a great source. Uh, livestock meat is a great source of uh, protein, right? Uh, of oils uh, that are necessary for uh, for our body and also of uh, some uh, vitamins and uh, micronutrients and our product is delivering all this it is very rich in protein it has uh, fats actually much better composition of fat than in uh, uh, livestock meat it has uh, lower fat in general and much lower saturated fat and also it doesn't have any cholesterol obviously uh, because cholesterol you can find only in animal products and in addition to this, some of our products are fortified with micronutrients. So basically, it's a part of a balanced diet that you would expect from a meat product.
0: I was going to ask you as well, you mentioned before that there's a need to do with this because of, you know, water consumption associated with livestock rearing, deforestation, pollution, all the problems with industrial animal products. Do you have any stats on how yours different, like the carbon footprint of redefined meat products compared to you know, steak or beef mince or any livestock products?
1: Yeah, so, so as I mentioned, uh, when, in my last role in Stratos I started to look in, uh, even though I did amazing things that uh, changed uh, uh, the way the technology helped human in many fields, such as medical field. But I was looking for things where the amplitude of uh, the change that I can bring with my developments uh, will be much, much higher. And I I identified this area of uh, meat alternatives in general, and I was looking into it, but only after I joined the company, I uh, realized how severe is the damage that is uh, being caused by uh, industrial uh, animal farming. So, uh, and and that's specifically true for uh, beef. So beef, uh, I. It's about uh, three times uh, more uh, than poultry and much higher than uh, any other uh, animal uh, animal meat. And uh, there are many levels on which it damages our planet. It starts with greenhouse gas emission that for, uh, uh, for the livestock uh, meat uh, can be compared even to the transportation sector. And uh, it continues with a huge a uh, use of land so it's not only the land that is being used for the animal themselves but it also the land that being used to grow the feed for the animals so sometimes people that are adv- advocating uh, for uh, livestock meat they are saying that uh, the uh, land that is required to grow the soy for making a uh, plant-based meat is compared to uh, to uh, Their area uh, uh, that is required for the cows but uh, that's, uh, that's funny because uh, uh, the, the cows in addition to everything you grow you need to grow even more soil just to feed the animal and then you have uh, water pollution uh, then you have antibiotics that are being used for animals that are leaking into the water and they uh, lead to creation of uh, microorganisms that uh, are immune to, uh, to antibiotics and then you can talk about all the uh, diseases and uh, viruses that came from uh, uh, livestock, uh, from industrial meat production, uh, including the COVID COVID virus that came uh, also from uh, from a market where they were selling uh, animals, right? So there are so many problems associated with this. And after realizing it, I actually reduced very substantially my own consumption of meat uh, in general, and specifically beef meat, uh, only rarely I will consume beef meat if it's not for a uh, test or a uh, science that we do, where it's uh, really important for us also to work with livestock meat to, uh, to, uh, to make sure that we are uh, stitching to the right reference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So your products are far better, you would say, for the environment and far less pollution and far less negative consequences
1: definitely so so plant-based products in general and our products specifically and we are not to take this for granted but we do our own uh, lca analysis lca means uh, life cycle analysis and it uh, it, uh, uh, covers all the emissions and all the environment impacts that your product has starting from the ingredient to all the processing and the energy that is being consumed during the processing the packaging, the uh, the cardboard, the plastic, everything that you use until uh, the product reach uh, uh, the final uh, shelf in the supermarket, everything is being calculated, and I can say that it, uh, we know that our product is at least ten times uh, better than uh, than beef has ten uh, more than ten times uh, less uh, environmental impact. Yes, so it's the difference is really huge.
0: Yeah, absolutely enormous. What would you say are the main challenges with creation and marketing of these products? What are the consumers worried about?
1: So of course uh, there are many challenges uh, and if there were no challenges, uh, I wouldn't expect uh, uh, livestock meat still uh, being presented such a big amount uh, on our shelves because uh, there is all possible motivations to do the change. Uh, So if the change doesn't happen there, it means uh, we have more work to do. And of course, uh, when we expanded our target audience from uh, vegans or vegetarians uh, to flexitarians and meat lovers, uh, we actually had to to face much higher standards because many vegetarians and vegans, uh, the last time they had um, meat, uh, livestock meat, if at all, was a long time ago and uh, sometimes they don't even want Uh, the meat to be too much meaty sometimes they uh, say uh, will say it's it's disgusting if it's too too meaty so uh, but when you go to a person that uh, eats uh, livestock meat on the daily manner and you give him an alternative you really uh, need to aim very high and this is what we do Uh, and uh, the biggest challenges challenge number one uh, in the whole industry is taste okay everybody are uh, that you will ask they will say the test should be uh, better it means a uh, more meaty taste less off flavors and a better performance uh, on, on this subject second the versatility so a uh, redefined meat really uh, provided a totally new uh, level of uh, versatility so Uh, if until now you could have like a burger or maybe a chicken uh, nuggets uh, as a plant-based version. So today uh, we offer a huge variety of products that you can create a lot of culinary uh, creativity. We unleash the culinary creativity for people that work with our products. I cook lasagna, people do pizza, uh, of course, burgers, uh, steaks in different variants, uh, beef wellington, Uh, different types of sausages, uh, koftas, uh, like uh, uh, almost uh, uh, everything you can think about. But there is still more to uh, improve uh, and we constantly work on a higher level of products, providing uh, the fat marbling, providing all the fatty mouthfeel that people love so much uh, about cuts like ribeye, for example, or picania. So uh, as scientists, we'll look much ahead of the products uh, that are already on the shelves. And we think about the next generation of products and what are the technological modules that are required for enabling uh, these uh, kinds of products and we provide this.
0: Yeah, amazing, incredible. How do you see the future of these plant-based new meat products evolving? Are there exciting developments that you're working on or what would the customer begin to expect in the next sort of five, ten years?
1: Sure, so we, we work in uh, two vectors at the same time. One vector is improving, constantly improving all the products that we already have in the market. So constantly making our mincemeat meat tastier, juicier, uh, more healthy, um, constantly making our steaks, uh, being able to imitate all the different cuts that you have uh, from the animal, constantly providing a versatile meat that is uh, compatible with all cooking conditions, with all the different kitchens and cuisines. Uh, so we uh, constantly expanding our uh, spectrum so that all meat lovers can get everything they want as they used to have with uh, livestock meat. And uh, I believe that the future of the sector uh, will uh, be a major growth of uh, the plant-based alternative and um, of course, uh, it, it, I don't think it should replace 100% of livestock meat. Uh, there are many environmental studies that uh, showing that actually uh, taking the industrial farming to zero is also wrong, so there should be some good balance uh, between the two uh, and we are not fighting against uh, animal meat, mm-hmm. uh, we respect people and their choices. But uh, we believe that if we put a product that has all the performance without the negative impact on the world, uh, people will prefer this product. We also believe that the governments will prefer this kind of product and that uh, there will be uh, policy makers that will come with policies that give preference to things that are more healthy for us and more healthy for the world. The same that you do with electric cars the same uh, that you do with smart homes so uh, there is a as, as a modern society we should drive the preference to, uh, towards a better uh, a better earth
0: yeah what a perfect place to end is there anything else that you would like to add about your products or your technology or anything else you want people to know
1: yes uh, i one thing that i want to mention that we are super excited these days about uh, the launch of our products in the retail market in the UK uh, and in Netherlands and today we sell our products uh, in Ocado and uh, we sell our product in Crisp and Albert Hein in the Netherlands and it's the first time uh, that our products are getting not only to food service and restaurants uh, but also to customers and uh, we make sure that we take all the qualities that the food service lo- loved so much and we keep them also for uh, the home users. Uh, all our development was made with leading chefs uh, from uh, from the culinary uh, field. Uh, people like uh, Marco Pierre White, like Ron Blau. So we really aimed high when we developed our products. And now we are very excited to see what is the use that uh, people at home will make with our meat. We're looking to hear the feedbacks and we are looking to uh, deliver more and more meat that will uh, address the taste of uh, everybody.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I think this, because this is our special holiday episode, it's really good to hear that your products are available in these countries. And if people listening fancy something, a plant-based alternative for their holiday meal, they can go out and try some redefined meat products instead of traditional livestock meat.
1: Yes, we have also publicly available recipes especially for uh, the Christmas dinner. So if you are interested in, uh, please enter our website and you'll find it there.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me, Daniel, and talking all things plant-based meat alternatives.
1: Thank you so much, Eleanor.
0: That's all from us for this season, but we'll be back in 2024 with more Big Questions. As well as some new IFL Science podcasts to keep an eye or an ear out for. See you there. Thanks for listening to IFL Science The Big Questions. Head over to IFLScience.com and don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so you don't miss out on the biggest stories each week. The music in this episode is credited to AudioBlocks.com. Until next time,